Welcome to Builder Funnel Radio. Here, you'll learn about how to grow your building, remodeling, or contracting business. If you're not growing, you're dying. So we want you to always be in growth mode. Remember, to get notified about new episodes, hit the subscribe button on your podcast player. That way, you won't miss any of our expert guests that we bring on the show. In addition, as a special thank you for being a listener of the podcast, we've got some special bonuses for you. Just go to builderfunnel.com slash podcast. Again, hit that subscribe button to stay in the loop and go to builderfunnel.com slash podcast for your special bonuses. Hey, welcome to episode number 41. This episode is with Todd DeWalt of the Construction Leading Edge podcast. And in this episode, we talk about a few things, one of those being cash flow problems and how to solve it. We also talk about Todd's story of how he helped grow a company from 4 million to 11 million and some of the things he uncovered there. And one of the other things we really emphasized and talked about was leadership and how to kind of turn that around and how critical that is to growing a business. So stay tuned and I hope you enjoyed this episode. Again, this is episode 41 with Todd DeWalt. Hey, Todd, glad to have you on the show today. Good to be here, Spencer. I appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, yeah, I'm glad, glad we could finally connect. Uh, it was fun to connect in person. And I know we kind of had a, a fun little get together with a few different podcasters because you also have your own podcast called The Construction Leading Edge. And uh, yeah, it was fun to meet up in Vegas and kind of you know, just see what other people are doing. Yeah, yeah, that definitely worked out. We literally just ran into each other. I went to the bookstore or the store to find to meet somebody else who never showed up. And then I saw this guy that looked like your picture. And I thought, uh, hey, well, I'm here. Why not introduce myself? So glad I did. Yeah, yeah, it worked out well. And uh, yeah, I think, um, you know, for everybody listening, you know, they may not know you or maybe haven't listened to your podcast. But I guess, Maybe you could just give a little bit of background on how you got into the construction industry. Sure. Um, let's see. How did I get into it? I got I got started in the construction industry in probably '95 when I was still in college. Um, started out was not headed for the construction industry, and ended up through a series of events as a co-op on a waste no as a on a water treatment plant in Orlando, Florida. And loved it for some reason, even though <laughs> an old uh, engineer named Bob tried to talk me out of going into the construction industry. Um, came back, changed my major, went into civil engineering, crammed as many hours as I could in, graduated, and uh, got started in the construction industry. So I started out in commercial construction and then, let's see, started my own business after a few years of that. I've done residential custom homes, land development, remodeling. Um, let's see, then I've been an owner's rep for several years, managing projects for the likes of Jones Lang LaSalle, Procter & Gamble, some big corporate clients. Had the opportunity to spend two and a half years as the owner's rep, getting a $70 million high-rise senior living community built, Ran a sewer rehab business for a while. It, it's been kind of a, an eclectic, schizophrenic type career. So if you look at my resume, you're like, what the hell has this guy been doing? And, um, <laughs> yeah, this doesn't yeah. make any sense. It's jumping all over the place. There's been some, there have been some, uh, some hard right turns on my, my resume. But it, uh, it has certainly been interesting. I've 
I've, I've learned a lot, met a lot of people. So yeah, that's, yeah. that's kind of my construction weird resume. <laughs> cool. No, that's awesome. And I think sometimes when you're in it, you're just kind of making those right turns and you go, Oh, this, this makes sense. Oh, I'll go here. And then you look back and it looks a little disjointed, but it also gives you a lot of experience to draw from. So when you're in certain situations, you can start pulling from those, those different experiences. And, um, and if I understand it correctly, part of why you started the podcast that you run was because you were a part of a company where you kind of came in and helped take them from, I think it was about four to 11 million in sales. Um, and I was hoping we could kind of talk a little bit about that because I think there's a lot of people listening that are working on growth and you realize that yes, marketing and sales are big pieces of that, but there's so many other things going on too in terms of systems and just personal development as a leader and those types of things. So, um, Maybe give us just a little bit of the context of how you came about, you know, working for that company and um, a little bit of the story there. Sure. Yeah, that's one of the the hard right turns that I took. So, so there I was. It was 2000. I'll give a little setup. 2007. The economy was great. I just hired on with this real estate developer to build this 70 million dollar senior living high rise, which with many more to come after that. And then 2008 hit. Um, and no more new developments. So I finished that project out. 2010, I was um, informed that I was going to be laid off. And long story short, I ended up in the sewer rehabilitation industry, which I had no idea existed. I can't even tell you how I got into that situation. So I was in the sewer rehabilitation industry in business development, even Hmm even stranger. I'd <laughs> always been in operations. Um, I actually asked them, what was it about my resume? I didn't apply for this job. This is what's even stranger. I said, what is it about my resume that says business development to you? And I need a job, but I, I just don't get it. <clears throat> so ended up taking that business development role, loved it, loved the sewer rehab industry, loved the people. And then one of my clients contacted me and hired me, basically said, Todd, here my ticket out of here. I want you to come run my business so I can retire. And that was 2000, I don't know, 2011, 2012, something like that. And when I got there, there was chaos everywhere. And the company was about 15 employees, roughly doing around $4 million in annual revenue. Cash flow was bad. Everything was bad. Let's just put it that way. There was very little good. Um, I think they call that lots of room for improvement, right? <laughs> there were there were plenty of opportunities for greatness. That that's what I would I would yeah. say. Um, or another way to say it is, you could put a a room full of monkeys together on typewriters, and they could come up with uh, about as an efficient system. So, um, yeah, it was bad. And beyond to be honest, I tried to get out of that situation. I was trying to get back to the real world where I thought I belonged in commercial real estate and project management. But uh, there I was. And so I went to work fixing it. Um, I, it wasn't necessarily by, it's not like I said, hey, this will be nice to learn some things. This will be a good opportunity. Let's, let's learn some stuff, Todd. No, it was like, hey, um, it was a phone, phone calls from 
my accounts payable um, person, Heather, saying, Todd, if we don't collect some money, we won't get paid. We will not be able to make payroll. And I did not like the idea of looking at 20 guys and telling them we mismanaged the cash and we couldn't make payroll. That was a big problem. So I went about solving the cash flow problems, putting, first of all, learning what the, the not so apparent root causes of cash flow problems are, addressing those, putting systems in place to solve those things, then moving on to other areas of chaos. I just went from whatever was the most painful and started putting systems in place. And when I would get one area stabilized, there was this other thing that was painful, causing problems. And I did that for about three years. And by the the end of the third year, we had grown from 15 employees up to around 50. We were in two at least two new markets and annual revenue had grown from around four to around 11 million and chaos, even though the company had somewhere between doubled and tripled in size, chaos was way down. It was awesome. much, much more sustainable. Um, plenty of money in the bank, cash flow problems were gone. Still had some chaos, but uh, yeah, through that, that's, that's where I learned really how how to identify the root causes of problems, what they they really are in a construction business. Some of some of those root causes are not so apparent. And then how to put systems in place, how to roll systems out in a way that they'll stick, how to grow people, how to grow a team, how to find people, hire people, um, all those sorts of things. So that was my my crucible of leadership. <laughs> and that's really when I started my podcast, the Construction Leading Edge podcast. And it may have been, no, it was, it was in part a coping mechanism for me because man, it was, it was stressful. It, it, I would like to say that, you know, I just went to work every day thinking this is a great opportunity for us to learn Todd, but no, it was, it was hard. It was, it was hard. And, um, but looking back on it, it's, it's the reason that I started the podcast. It, it really set me off on this new trajectory into the business I have now. So yeah, in the middle of it, I thought it sucked, but <laughs> now I'm, I'm glad I went through it. Yeah. Well, I'm glad to hear that. Cause I think it's, it's a refreshing take. A lot of times you hear these stories of, Oh, somebody went from X to Y in sales and you know, they did these four bullet points and that was the magic answer. And you know, we talk a lot about growth here at our company too. And by definition, growing is being uncomfortable, you know, because you're figuring those things out. And so I think hearing that from, from somebody like you that went into a really uncomfortable, chaotic situation and then was able to just grind through it, you uncovered a lot of lessons that can sure they can shortcut you a little bit, but there's still a lot of work involved and, you know, there's the human factor and, you know, so um, yeah, that's super refreshing to hear. I guess I'd be interested to dive into some of those. I guess you said that some of the things are not apparent root causes, you know, and maybe we can even start with uh, cash flow. That was one of the first things you mentioned. But uh, what are a couple of things that if somebody's having a cash flow problem, have you uncovered or like, hey, you should really look at this spot or these couple of spots first? Sure. Um, one of the the most One of the biggest root causes for, I'll just name a few that that come to mind. 
Uh, number one is what I call invoice gymnastics, which means what, what that means is guys are just not getting their invoices submitted on time. Mm. They are holding things. They're not submitting for, they're just not submitting their invoices. And in the, the commercial world where I've spent most of my career, you have very finite windows of opportunity to get your invoices in. And if you don't invoice for the work by say the 25th of the month, you may not get another, op- you won't get another opportunity until the next time the window opens. And what this looks like on the residential side is people will, they will incur invoices. They will incur expenses and they will fund payroll. They will fund materials, overhead, indirect costs, things like that. And then not invoice for too long. And in, in the, uh, residential world, many cases, your ability to invoice is tied to a milestone on a project. So foundation complete, dried in, whatever, completion. And in many cases, if that project gets delayed for some reason that's out of your control, then again, you're, you're carrying those costs and it's killing your cash flow. So invoicing gymnastics is a big one. Um, the, the number one killer of cash flow in my experience is this, it is a, what's the word? It is a, this obscure sort of um, economic principle called opportunity cost. And here's, here's the deal. Every construction business is like a machine. And this machine takes inputs such as time and capital, information, material, labor, equipment, et cetera, technology, and turns it into revenue. At the most basic level, that's what a business does. All but one of those inputs is renewable. Labor, material, technology, equipment, et cetera, it's all renewable. But time is not renewable. And this is a lesson I learned way too late in life is that once a day is lost, you can never get that day back. So, For example, to use round numbers, let's say a a contractor is doing a million dollars in revenue a year. If they lose a day, then that is um, 500, was it $500 a day? I should have had my, yeah. (laughs) So million dollars divided by 2000 hours, let's say it's $500 an hour. So their machine needs to generate $500 of revenue every hour. That's $4,000 a day. And one of the biggest killers of cash flow is opportunity cost. They have eight hours of revenue producing time every day. And if they are not turning those hours into revenue, then they're not generating revenue. Meanwhile, they're, they're racking up their overhead, their indirect costs, their rent and insurance and utilities and everything. All those people don't care if you do any work or not. And that's really this, it's the, this hidden killer of cash flow is opportunity cost. People will fall in love with their backlog, but you shouldn't be in love with your backlog. You should be in love with revenue. You should be turning your backlog into revenue at the highest rate per day as possible. That's it's this weird, not so apparent reality, but the truth is opportunity cost is the number one killer of cash flow. And as I like to tell people, it, it doesn't show up on your bank account. 
you'll never see it on an invoice, but you can you can be sure that it is hammering your bottom line if you're not aware of it. Yeah, that's super interesting because, I mean, we're seeing that right now where a lot of people do have that backlog. You know, they have tons of, of work lined up, but to your point, yeah, I mean, maybe that helps you in the future, but that doesn't help you now in that day, that day that you could lose, right? Exactly, exactly. You're, I, I coach people to establish their monthly revenue targets and then turn that into a weekly revenue target. The sewer rehab business that I ran, we had daily revenue targets per crew so that they knew if they were winning or not. It just made it really tangible. And uh, it was it was one of the one of the keys to really driving that business forward. But that's those are two of the the big ones. Um, invoicing gymnastics and then people just get hammered by opportunity costs and they don't even know it because it doesn't show up and they're real their cash flow is bad, but they've got lots of backlog maybe, they're doing some work, it feels productive, but they're getting hit by opportunity costs and they just don't even know it. Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And maybe we can shift over to the revenue side a little bit and start talking about, about sales or marketing and sales. And, um, you know, obviously 4 million going to 11 million is, is a big jump, especially over just a few years. You know, that's a huge percentage increase. Um, so I'd be curious to learn just, I guess, how you guys did that and were there some like strategic moves that you made where you said, hey, we're, we're here and we need to increase this. Um, but also understanding that probably a lot of people listening, they may be aspiring to get to 4 million or maybe, you know, 12 is the goal or 20. But, um, you know, what were you guys doing right, if anything, at 4 million? And then what did it take to get to 11? I would say there were a couple of, stages to that growth. And the first stage was a, a lesson. It was based on a lesson that I learned from the manager of a Longhorn Steakhouse, oddly enough. <laughs> I was at a Longhorn Steakhouse after a, a late lunch meeting. It was about two or three in the afternoon. So as I left, the manager was holding the door and I stopped and asked him and I said, all right, you run a restaurant, what's your business development strategy? Because you're stuck here, you can't go serve people 50 miles away. What's your business development strategy? And without hesitation, he said these words, four wall execution, and paused dramatically. <laughs> just, I said, like all right. I uh, just like I did. Yeah. <laughs> so I said, all right, I'll bite. What? What yeah. is four wall? What is what does four wall execution mean? And he said, when somebody is inside these four walls, then we will execute the best we can to make sure they have the best experience possible. And that word experience is, is very important. I'll come back to that in a minute. And he said, if we do that, then those people who come, they will go tell their friends. They will they will come back themselves and they will they will tell their friends. If they have a bad experience, they will not be back and they will tell twice as many people yeah. not to come back. So the best thing we can do is four-wall execution. And um, the reason I highlight the word experience is because this is often overlooked in the construction industry. We think we're all about just providing a result, end results, whether it's a remodeled house, a new kitchen, a new bathroom, a new home, etc. But people are buying they are buying a result, but they're also buying an experience. And 
that experience will determine your success. So stage one of the growth was we had to fix the experience that our clients were having with us. We had one main client, actually they were probably 90% of our revenue, but at the time I got involved, they were, um, they were withholding work from us because they were having such a bad experience with us. And it wasn't necessarily quality. Frankly, it was just personality. Hmm, The people, the owners of the company were not taking good care of, of the client. And when I say not taking good care of them, I mean things like lodging complaints with their higher ups, um, just doing ridiculous things that had no chance of ever generating more work. So I went to work fixing that relationship, um, actually got browbeaten pretty bad, cussed out one day by the project manager who was who was my primary contact. And he just unloaded on me about all of these things that the people I were working for had done. And I just smiled and took it. I said, you're right. You're exactly right. And you know what can we do to make it better? And slowly fixed that relationship and opened the gates on at work. So they had lots of problems to solve. They had a contract with us to solve them. And we were the problem. So I had to get us out of the way and get that work coming to us as fast as possible. So got that fixed. And then that project manager, his name is Vernon. We, we became really good friends after that. And he moved on to another role. And then another project manager came in and I had to develop that relationship with him as well. So phase stage one was we need to, to right the wrongs and fix the relationship and get, get the, the gates, the, the valve open on the work that we had under contract. So we did that. And then the next stage was to expand geographically. The, the nature of the work we did was driven by um, environmental regulations. So there was no, no lack of work, but we had to go figure out how to work with other clients, learn their systems, learn their procurement processes, go through their bidding processes. So there were two or three other clients that had large projects that we could bid on and we were able to secure those projects and then leverage those, those relationships to get extra work. My favorite two words in my business development vocabulary are these two words. What else? I like what it. Else? Yeah. What, what else can we help you with? What, what other problems are you having? And even though in this case, we were doing work for municipal clients, which was hard bid, what would seem to be locked down where they would have no flexibility, we were able to, to negotiate work because I would ask those questions. What else? What else can we do for you? Um, and then it, it was expanding into other clients, finding the clients that we were who had the problems we could solve, find out what problems they had, and then be available. So maybe it wasn't large, one to $2 million projects at a time, but it might be $10,000 worth of work a month. Hey there, I hope you're enjoying today's episode. Just a quick reminder that this show is brought to you by Builder Funnel. We're a digital marketing agency specialized in helping home builders, remodelers, 
and contractors like yourself grow their businesses. We help you implement marketing and sales technology, such as marketing automation and a CRM system, as well as drive more traffic, leads, and sales through strategies like content marketing, SEO, social media, paid traffic, and email marketing. If you want to learn more and see if we're a good fit, just send a quick email to hello at builderfunnel.com and mention the podcast. I'll schedule a one-on-one website and digital marketing assessment with you where I'll take a look at your website, show you some areas where you can improve, and we can see if we're a good fit. If you haven't noticed already, our company is huge on education. We host this podcast, create tons of videos, and create helpful blog posts to educate you guys on marketing and sales. I'll pack a ton of value into the website assessment, and I'll never pressure you to buy from us, although we're confident you'll improve your marketing and sales efforts by doing so. Again, send me a quick note to hello at builderfunnel.com. Enjoy the rest of the episode. And developing a network of, of those types of clients that we could solve problems for. Um, but I would say that one of the keys to the growth was really an often overlooked business development strategy, which is on the execution side. Um, what people don't realize is that the, the, the people that your clients are dealing with, your people, that your clients are dealing with, your subcontractors, your supervisors, your foremen, superintendents, project managers, et cetera, that your clients are interacting with on a daily basis have more impact on your ability to get the next project than the CEO or the business development person or the sales team or whatever. So everybody has to understand that you're always looking for the next project and the people on the job site, in the trailer, etc. on the front line, in the field, have as much or more impact on your ability to, to get the next project. So those were some of the main strategies that were behind the growth. And a big part of being able to sustain that growth was having the infrastructure in place, having the systems and processes in place to be able to support it. Otherwise, we would have hit the, hit the wall, um, as most companies do, if they can't grow beyond their systems. And um, yeah, so those are, those are a few of the main strategies that were key to growing that business. Yeah, that's awesome. And I, I want to highlight the part that you talked about the experience, because I think if you look at any product out there or service out there, you start to realize that a huge part of marketing is the product or it is the service. Uh, you know, if, if you get something really cool, you buy it on Amazon, I mean, and you go tell somebody, I mean, you're telling them because the product is super cool or it solved a problem for you or it did, you know, X, Y, Z. And, you know, that leads to potentially that next sale or, or multiple sales. And obviously there are marketing and sales specific strategies you can do as well to, to get new business. Um, but yeah, I mean, a big part of marketing is the actual just delivery of what you do and that experience that somebody has when they get it, whether it's a physical product or in our case, you know, an end result of something physical, but it's that experience they go through to get to that. Yeah. And, um, even, even going a little bit further is, um, the emotional part of it. What I've learned is that most people make most decisions based on emotion and then they back them up with logic. So it's not based on, they're not making decisions based on facts and rational facts and figures. Most of us make decisions based on emotion. 
gut feeling. It just doesn't feel right or whatever. But they, we make decisions, big, small, everything in between based on emotion. And then we back it up with logic. So I've seen this in, uh, I've, I've been in presentations on the owner's side where two very reputable contractors just presented on a $30 million project and the decision maker saying, I just don't feel like these guys have it. I just don't think they've got it. I don't think they get it. It's feeling. And as a result, that $30 million contract was negotiated with the higher bidder. So it's not always about price. It's about what it comes down to is, is feelings. Um, we are actually, you're selling feelings at some level. Yeah. You want your, your customers want to feel confident. They want to feel like they're getting a good value. They want to feel smart. They want to feel like the hero. They want to feel trust. And you're offering them a feeling along with that result. So if you overlook the emotional part of it, then you'll probably end up scratching your head wondering, why am I missing out on so many deals? It's because you're completely ignoring the whole emotional part, which sounds kind of fruity to those of us in construction, but it's, it's human psychology. It's well understood by psychologists and it's just mostly overlooked by, by folks in the construction business. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a really good point. I mean, yeah, we always, we've got that thing that we want and that's stemming that emotion. And then you, you look for these things that you think you should look for the bullet points, the, you know, reasons that you should select this company or, or that, but, you know, to your point, it'll go down to probably, how did it feel when I talked to this person and did I feel good about moving ahead with them, you know, or these other guys? Um, mm -hmm. I kind of want to shift gears a little bit too. Earlier on, you talked about uh, the chaos that you kind of walked into just in general um, ac across the board. And I'm interested to hear anything that you uncovered, you know, over those few years, making all these changes just around uh, like leadership and cultural changes. So were there any, any big shifts that needed to happen there? You know, the way certain like team members were acting or uh, the way certain leaders were acting and, and things that really needed to change in order to also facilitate that growth. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that was a, a big part of it. Um, there were several things that we did. Let's see if I try to, we try to, summarize at the high level. Um, so the old regime, the old way of, of leadership, actually, I don't think there's anything, uh, I think bad leadership is actually a misnomer. If it's bad, then it's not leadership, but we'll call it that. So the old <laughs> regime sure. was all about uh, blame and fear, fear of making mistakes, blaming other people, very much a fixed mindset that nobody can grow, nobody ch can change, everybody is exactly the way they were 10 years ago, only certain people can do things, Just it, it was kind of a mess. And the leadership approach was, I tell you what to do, I'm the leader, I tell you what to do, I tell you how to do it, um, I pay you for what you've got from your neck down, kind of a thing. Yeah old school chicken shit type management. That's, <laughs> yeah, that's, totally. the, that's the, the technical term for it in my book. Um, 
So as a result, we, I walked into a situation where people hid mistakes. They were not transparent because they were all afraid that they were going to get fired if they made a mistake. Um, they didn't take any responsibility. They didn't take any ownership because it wasn't, it was actually discouraged to take ownership. Sure. So it was do what you're told, don't take any chances, keep your head down, stay out of trouble kind of thing. So my approach to leadership is really a, is to take the typical org chart, the pyramid shaped org chart and flip it upside down. So I believe that servant leadership is really the only leadership that works. And that means that if I'm the, the leader, it's my job to support the people my direct reports and it's their job to support the people that report to them and vice and, and on and on and on. So um, a couple of organizational changes. One was my job to support you. It's my job to make you successful. So that that's a pretty powerful change in approach. I'm, it's not your job to make me look good as the leader. It's my job to make you look good, to make you look like a genius and make sure you're winning. The other um, fundamental leadership change was that the, the, there's a, a typical mindset that he who is higher on the org chart is better equipped to make decisions, right? So yeah. run it up the flagpole, keep passing, pass problems up, and then pass orders down. And this is a valuable lesson I learned um, in that situation, I got overwhelmed because people were constantly calling me, asking me what they should do. Well, I don't know. I'm not there. So what I realized is that the, the guy highest up on the org chart is not the best equipped to make decisions. The person who is best equipped is the person closest to the problem. So in the type of work we did, that we were constantly running into unforeseen conditions. It was run into a problem, come up with a solution and fix it. So the dumbest thing we could do would be to run into a problem, stall out and wait for hours or days to get a decision. We had to be more nimble. We, we, the cost of no decision or the cost of inaction was so high. So I empowered my guys. I gave them the information that they needed, made sure that they had access to as much information as possible, make sure, made sure that they could see the big picture how of so they would understand how what they're doing right now fits into the big picture and then i would empower them to make decisions so give them some parameters potentially to operate within maybe it's hey, if it's going to cost under two hundred dollars you make the call tell me what you did and we'll talk about it later and adjust for the next time but understanding that the the cost of inaction is often much higher than the cost of what might be the wrong decision. Um, that was, that was huge. And that, that set off a, a chain reaction because when, when people are empowered to make decisions, then it taps into two of the biggest motivators that we humans have. One is trust and two is autonomy. So when we feel trusted and when we feel autonomous, like when we feel that we have control over our destiny and we have some room to move and shake, the opposite of being micromanaged, then we are extremely motivated. And it's, we've probably all been in these situations where we've had this boss or somebody who was telling us what to do, how to do it, 
managing every little step of the process. In that case, we're just not motivated at all. It's like, yeah. here, like, it's a new project. And, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You, all right, tell me what you want me to do. Like, I've been there. I, I, I'll just throw my hands up and just tell me what you want me to do. And when people feel trusted and feel autonomous and they are in control, then you get this magical thing happening where it's their plan. And when it's their plan, they're going to run through walls to make sure it's successful and they're going to solve problems they run into and they're going to be much more productive and engaged. You have happier people, better productivity, better quality. It is just the business case for that style of leadership is, uh, is really solid. And that was one of the big leadership shifts that I made. And that's when I realized that leadership, good leadership is really a force multiplier. You can add a few things in a few leadership strategies or a good leader, and you can multiply the, the resources that you have, not just add to them, but multiply them. And that's, that was one of the other really key contributing factors that led to and supported the, the growth and success of that company. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. And I kind of want to connect the dots a little bit there because uh, you had talked about that example of empowering people, but saying, Hey, if it's $200 or less or $500 or less, you know, you make the decision, we'll adjust. Um, but that, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but that goes back to what you were saying earlier about the opportunity cost, which is now we're not losing time and revenue opportunity for today. You know, today doesn't disappear on you because you're waiting to get approval and then, you know, it's hours or, or days or even longer until you can actually keep that moving. So it's, it's preventing you from getting to the backlog if you have a backlog or it's preventing you from getting to that next milestone where you can send the invoice. And so, absolutely, uh, yeah, I think that's a, a big point there. And, and I like too, that you talked about the overwhelm of, you know, when you first got there and it was like, here's all these problems or things I need decisions on. And yeah, that's the first first thing I do is like, if somebody brings a problem, it's like, well, what, what are your couple of solutions to go along with that? And what, you know, what would you do if you were calling the shot? Because yeah, if you're just sitting there answering questions all day, then you're not doing anything either. So it's just, it's compounding, you know, everything uh, is slowing down. Yeah. But the the problem is the, the sneaky little issue is it feels good to be the hero. It (laughs) feels good to be the, the guy that, that makes the call, you know, the, the hero. Um, and one of the sneaky root causes of problems that, that I found, uh, well, I'll talk about the problem. People say to me a lot, they're, they're what they think is the problem, but is actually a symptom. They say things like, I can't, I can't find good people. I can't get good people. I can't get my people motivated. They're not productive. Um, I want them to operate like owners. I want them to take more ownership. But when I dig around a little bit, I find out that the, the leader has a mindset, something like some of the following. They believe that as the leader, I have to be the best at something. Or I have to be the only one who can put together an estimate. Um, they, they have mindsets like that. And they'll never say that out loud, but they believe things like, like that. They also believe that um, if, if I delegate too much, then people are going to say, what are you doing? <laughs> I've actually had people say this to me. Like, I'm concerned that if I delegate too much, then 
my guys are going to say, what are you going to do then, Todd? And they have these kind of weird, irrational, illogical fears. So as you can imagine, if, if somebody believes that they have to be the best, they have to be the only, people are going to question them if they delegate too much, um, they, then they will never hire somebody who is better at something than them. They'll never hire someone who's smarter at something than them. If they do accidentally let somebody slip through the defenses, then they will undermine them. They will sabotage them. They will run them off. And then they'll say, I knew it. You just can't find good help. <laughs> it's just not out there. Yeah. Uh, I think that's a, a great point. And yeah, oftentimes as the leader, if you have problems, you just need to look in the mirror and see what's going on, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah. Whether it's, yeah leadership things or systems that you haven't built or education you haven't passed down in terms of training, but yeah, uh, it all comes back and falls on your shoulders. And, um, Todd, I feel like we've, we've uncovered a lot already today, but I also feel like we've barely scratched the surface. So, um, I do have another question for you to kind of wrap us up, but before we get to that, I guess, uh, maybe just give us a little, you know, 30 seconds on what you're doing with the podcast and how you help the industry and then you know, how can people connect with you and find you online, that sort of thing? Sure. Absolutely. I appreciate the opportunity. Um, so I'm all about helping construction business owners eliminate chaos and maximize revenue. That's, that's what I say. So I have the podcast, the construction leading edge podcast, actually we're recording this in mid March, 2019. I started the podcast five years ago. It was right March and I'm a little afraid to go back and listen to that first episode. But <laughs> um, five years ago, I started this. Now I have a coaching program where I work with construction business owners. I'm doing a live event every once in a while, getting people together um, to solve issues. I have an online training program called the Construction Business Accelerator. And the best place to go is constructionleadingedge.com. And that's where most of my stuff is there. But um, yeah. I would encourage you to check out the podcast and then go to the website. Let me know how I can help you. Yeah, that's awesome. And, and thanks. And for everybody listening, we'll link all that up in the show notes. So just check that out and then you'll be able to get over to Todd and um, see where he can help you, whether it's podcast and free information or coaching program or, or whatever makes sense for you. Um, but yeah, Todd, as we wrap for today, if you could just leave everybody with just one piece of advice, what do you think that would be? One piece of advice, um, I would, I would say my best piece of advice, which is where I start most of my clients, is start with your mindset. When you upgrade your mindset, you change the way you think, change what you believe to be true that's not true. That will change the way you think. That will change the way you behave. That will change your results. So a lot of people are trying to change the results or change their behavior, but you have to get all the way down to the mindset level. You have to get down to what you believe to be true and find out where you're holding yourself back. So if you're looking around at the problems, assuming that all of your problems are out there, then you're really missing out on where most of your problems actually are. They are between your ears. So start with yourself identify the ways that you're sabotaging yourself, holding yourself back and start, start with your mindset. 
I love it. Yeah, that's awesome. Great advice. And yeah, Todd, thanks so much for joining me today. This was an awesome show. You bet. Thanks a lot, Spencer. All right. Talk to you soon. Hey, guys, I know you're on the go. And so let's talk action items from this episode with Todd DeWalt. Again, I think we uncovered a ton in the episode, uh, but it also felt like there was a lot more we could have talked about. But here's a few takeaways that I took away from the episode, and I'm hoping you can take these and start to implement them right away. So first one in thinking about cash flow uh, was thinking about what Todd talked about with invoicing. So making sure you've got a good grasp on sending invoices out quickly and understanding that the timing of those invoices may actually just be the only thing that's hindering uh, cash flow right now. And so if you can get those invoices out, that could make a world of a difference. And it's a simple thing that you can do. So I liked that one. Uh, The other one is to maybe go back and look at your customer experience. So think through all the touch points that you have with the customer. And are they getting, you know, the experience that you want them to get and think about that example, you talked about talking to uh, the owner of that steakhouse, and he's, you know, providing that four wall experience. And so what's your equivalent of that four wall experience and maybe just mapping that out so that you can start to see where you might improve but as a quick action item just map it out and think about that experience you're delivering Uh, and then the final takeaway was mindset and as soon as todd said this uh, it made me think of a book called the growth mindset that i've read uh, now a couple of times the last two years it's a super powerful book um, and I think it ties nicely into his parting, parting advice. So we'll make sure that's linked up in the show notes. And again, those are the, the takeaways from today's episode. Hope you enjoyed it. Again, that was Todd DeWalt of Construction Leading Edge. And we'll see you next time on Builder Funnel Radio. Thanks for joining us today on Builder Funnel Radio. Don't forget to visit www.builderfunnel.com for tons of free marketing and sales resources. And if you ever need hands-on help implementing your marketing and sales system, just send a quick note to radio at builderfunnel.com. And as we close for today, remember, never stop learning. See you next time.